You're listening to Deliberate Living, the podcast that inspires, empowers, and encourages listeners to live life more authentically. My name is Holly Priestley, and I'm a nomad, coach, creator, and outdoors woman. And I'm Beers, a vagabond, joy artist, permissionary, and story breaker. We explore different ways people choose to ditch the prescribed life we've all been sold and live on their terms. Finding freedom and happiness however they choose. Oh, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Deliberate Living Podcast. I am your host, Holly Priestley, and this week I will be the only host on the show. Beers has a few other things going on in life, so I'm going to record this interview with uh, this week's guest, Sarah Amundsen. She is the Sarah behind Sarah's Wellness Way on Instagram, and uh, I have been following you for a hot minute <laughs> on Instagram, and and you know, God bless technology. Sometimes it can help bring like-minded people together. Um, and one of my favorite things about Sarah and why I really wanted to have her on the show is because she is so like honest and uh, forthcoming with her feelings and with her life and like what's going on in the world. Um, she, was going through a divorce around about the same time that my breakup was happening and seeing her process her divorce helped me process my breakup and, you know, find a little bit more uh, camaraderie in it, you know, because sometimes like big life events like that, that are kind of dramatic and things we don't necessarily want to happen uh, can feel very isolating. And so for me, it was really nice to see another woman kind of going through the same thing and like sharing her feelings and the highs and the lows and the process. Uh, She also has a van and she has a dog and we have some things in common, uh, needless to say. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Happy to have you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so, (laughs) I'm so honored and excited. This is going to be fun. (laughs) Yes. I'm so excited. I have been wanting to have you on for a very long time. So I'm I'm glad that we were able to make our schedules and technology uh, work properly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We tried this once before, but the van was not getting me the, the, the Wi-Fi I needed. No, no. And that's kind of, that's part of the van life. Um, so for our audience who doesn't follow you, who doesn't have a, a friendship with you already, can you give a little bit of backstory about um, who you are and kind of how you got to where you are now, just in terms of like a a basic high level overview. Yeah. Yeah. So who I am, um, born and raised in Portland, Oregon and across the river in Vancouver, Washington. So you're very like standard Pacific Northwest kind of human. Um, (laughs) Birkenstocks and socks, beanies, Birkenstocks and socks, (laughs) always a beanie. Um, yeah born and raised, I went to like Seattle for graduate school, the Seattle Tacoma area. So really haven't left outside of um, my van kind of journeys. Uh, Let's see, I'm a social worker, and I own a private therapy practice contracted with Oregon Health Plan, which is Oregon's Medicaid population. And um, that's been interesting and fun during the pandemic. I also work for Headspace. Um, Social work is a huge part of my identity, but I've really been 
kind of exploring like the other facets of my identity because I think that my own like childhood kind of trauma and uh my own struggles with my mental health and family mental health has resulted in me being a social worker and um I love my work but it's it's also kind of a trauma response and so I'm in the process of trying to figure out who I am outside of it um I have a German shepherd she's almost three years old and hopefully she doesn't make an appearance because she'll be loud (laughs) if she does (laughs) yeah that's me in a nutshell I love it I think that's awesome I especially love your self-awareness around like my career is a trauma response and I'm trying to work on that. I think that's super interesting. Um, If I remember correctly, you were not planning on being a social worker or going into that field. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to figure out like the plan, right? Because Mm -hmm. um, I started college when I was 16 and I started working full time as a caregiver when I was 17, my senior year of high school, what, or what, you know, technically my senior year of high school. And I worked um, for like three or four years as a caregiver for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And then I finished my bachelor's at 20, which is totally inappropriate. Um, <laughs> but from there, I had a, uh, I worked for the state of Washington and I had a caseload of 100 people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, um, just helping them access services that would like lit promote them living a life that was uh, full and exciting to them right so I was so young when I started my career but like so excited to be a part of a community that I really believed in the work that it just kind of happened um and yeah I I got my in undergrad degree in psychology when I was 20 so again just like sick kid. I had a hospitalization when I was 18, um, an inpatient hospitalization. And when I discharged, I like really wanted to understand everything about myself and my family. And then from there, I kind of took the natural steps of like, okay, now that I'm 21, I'll apply for grad school. And, uh, I got my graduate degree when I was a couple years later. And, um, being a therapist though was an absolute accident, did not plan on it, fell into it, just kind of happened. And, um, surprisingly really love my work. Like I really love therapy. It is so fun, but yeah, not, a, not the plan, <laughs> <laughs> not the plan, not so much. Um, I think that's great. And I love that, that you stumbled into a career so young, so early and you still love it 10 years later. I mean, that's wild. I've had so many careers, if you can even call them that, like in, in my lifestyle. Um, I have never like worked for somebody else for longer than I think the maximum I worked for somebody else was like 10 months. I'm constantly like trying new things and, and flipping things around. And uh, I mean, I, I guess now I've been self-employed mostly doing writing, but also doing a bunch of other things for the last many years. But it took me so long to find something, you know, and I, I did all those things. I went to college and got the degree and, you know, got, tried to do everything, tried to like apply for those jobs, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, all the things you're supposed to do. And it never worked for me. And I was miserable and I never found something that like felt right. And I thought there was something wrong with me about it. 
Um, and like, turns out there's not, and that's fine. That's a different episode. <laughs> so I kind of love hearing that, you know, you fell into it and it's still like feeding your soul and giving you a lot of like fulfillment and happiness and stress, of course. Yeah. It's very different now than it was then because, um, you know, when I was younger, it was all about how can I create work that is an escape from my own like internal kind of chaos? How can I kind of avoid my dysregulation and um, impulsivity and like family chaos and traumas that were going on? And so that was like the way that I did that was throwing myself into my work. And that like that gave me worth for the first time in my entire life. Like I had never experienced liking myself until I started being a case manager. And I was like, oh, I through like supporting others and through watching other people have community and through watching other people experience joy, like I realized I can do that too. And so that was really cool. But now it's like I have all of these other things that give me worth. So how do I create a healthier kind of balance with my work that um, isn't like, I'm not so enmeshed in it, right? Like 10 years ago, other people's wins, my clients' wins felt like my wins. And so their failures also felt like Mm -hmm. my failures. And now it's like, if my clients win or fail or whatever, like that has everything to do with them and nothing to do with me. And so I'm trying to boundary set a lot, but um, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting ride for sure. And I've also done like a ton of self-employment and stuff along the way as well. So like freelance writing and mental health blogs and curriculum development and all of that stuff, because there's definitely been times I wanted to like escape traditional social work. Mm-hmm. Um, can you share a little bit about how you're finding more and more ways to find fulfillment and to find self-worth and to find joy in your life? Like how do you do that? How, like, do you just stumble upon things and you're like, Oh, what a surprise. This brings me joy. <laughs> or are you like deliberately going out there and being like, I need to find joy. Where is the joy? Let's try things until something is joyful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think it's a combination of both of those approaches. Um, <laughs> but for like, you know, I, I'm not gonna say everybody out there who's listening, that's married, get divorced and like sell your house and buy a van. <laughs> But for me, it was, um, you know, <laughs> getting divorced, selling your house, getting divorced, <laughs> selling my house and buying a van. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I was, I got married when I was 24 and, um, you know, divorced by 27. So no, I guess I was 25 when I got married and divorced by 27. Um, and it's always hard for me to figure out how do I share the story of my marriage without kind of like sharing too much of Tori's story, right? My ex-wife, mm-hmm. like she doesn't give consent necessarily. Um, it's not that she doesn't give consent, but she's not. It's here. also not explicitly that she's here, so it's yeah. always kind of hard for me to figure out. But I was married. Um, to a person who has a decent amount of power and privilege in their role. I was married to a cop. I have a lot of understanding of what that means now compared to when we first got together and we're dating and married. Um, 
I'm not not necessarily pro police now, but I didn't understand that then. So like my marriage, there was um, a, a pretty profound power differential between her and I. She was always making more money than I was. She was controlling our schedule um, because of the way that policing, like the culture of policing every six to 12 weeks, you're going to have a new schedule, whether that's like day knock swing. Um, She signed on for some contracts to be like a crisis negotiator. So like my life was really for four years about just like, how can I constantly shift and change to meet Tori where Tori is at? Because policing is kind of a cult, right? Yeah. It's an in-group. So they teach you through fear that if, um, if you talk too much about what's going on within this group, like you start to crack, crack it open and in cracking it open, um, we become at risk. Like if the community understands what this group is like, then they might target us. And if they target us, then you're going to end up alone, right? Like I was always profoundly terrified of what would happen if my wife was shot or attacked or um, if we were on like public transportation, if there was a fellow, you know, community member that had been incarcerated that would try to harm us. Like that was a really big part of the relationship and the culture. And so for four years, my life was, I am uh, the partner of law enforcement. Um, and through the divorce, I really had to be like, you know, what do I believe about law enforcement? First of all, holy shit, what a hard question to answer, especially as a white woman. Um, how did I kind of, by aligning with a person who's an officer, like, how did I perpetuate the traumas that were occurring in communities? So all of that was really hard and forced me to really like, look at my core values. But then it was like, okay, fuck. So I had planned on living this life with this person that was going to be very controlled. And now all of a sudden, I'm the one that gets to decide what I'm going to do. Um, I hadn't like purchased my own clothes. Not because I didn't like want to, but because I felt like a lot of fear about Tori not liking the clothes that I wore. And so she would just, she just started bringing home clothes for me. And I didn't pay my own bills for four years. I didn't do my own taxes. I didn't read any of the paperwork for my house when I bought it. Uh, I didn't find my own car. Like I had given all of my decision-making power to Tori because making decisions is hard for me feel that fast forward to getting divorced fuck man I have to do it all on my own so so buying the van was the first time in my life I had done something for me right like I did I went to school because that's what you did I became a social worker because that's how you serve others I got married because I was supposed to like I bought a house because that's the way that you acquire wealth in this country I fucking tore it all down (laughs) and (laughs) bought a van and built it out and traveled and it broke down and I fucking broke down with it. Like, and then I was able to really define my two core values are to be in service of others and seek joy. 
And if I'm not constantly doing things that are like in alignment with being of service to others and seeking joy, then I sh- I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So that's looked like a lot of different things. It's looked like playing with art. It's looked like leaning into my writing, of course. It's looked like having a lot of sex with a lot of people. Um, trying some new things, but also like not trying new things that made me feel comfortable. It's, it's hard for me to explain like how I have practiced seeking joy because it's so messy. Um, I think that's very important to highlight that it's messy, right? Like, oh, if you're just going to like follow your joy, follow your bliss, seek joy all the time, everything is going to be like rainbows and unicorns and it's all going to be amazing. And that's just not true. That's not how it works. Um, and so, you know, I, I actually really appreciate that sentiment. Like, I don't know how I seek joy because it's messy. I don't know how to talk about it because it's messy. Like it's messy. That's how you talk about it. And I think that, I mean, that's one of the things that drew me to you like immediately was because you share the mess and you're very open and authentic and vulnerable on the internet for strangers, right? Like that's a, it's a weird place to be open and honest and vulnerable. Very weird. Like, (laughs) I mean, I, I love it. And I have my own brand of open and honest and vulnerable and our brands are, you know, kind of different. I don't necessarily talk about all the same things you talk about, but that's one of the things that I absolutely loved, like still love about your page is that you are like, here are some feelings. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And here's a mistake I made. And oh, here's some joy I found. And like, I fucking love it because I just think it's so genuine and of service. Right. And so your story helps me like figure out my story, which helps me share my story, which helps other people figure out their stories. Like it's a, it's a domino effect for sure. And I think that's awesome. Um, I imagine based on, you know, what you've said about your relationship and uh, your marriage and all of that, and then coming out on this end of it after everything broke down, um, that maybe that wasn't the case for you before, or have you always been like open? And I mean, you said that in the, in the police community and law enforcement community, you don't open up. Everything is very closed. You don't want to let the light in. And so now it's like, let all the light in share all of the Mm -hmm. things with everyone forever. (laughs) How was that for you? Was that scary at all? Or were you just like, so like, I'm going the complete opposite direction of where I have been. Like, let's just fucking go. Let's lean in full send share. I don't know what lean in full send sharing would look like because I'm certainly not doing it now. (laughs) Um, Although I recognize that what I am doing now feels very like raw and open to some people there's still so much more I could kind of open up, but also not everything needs to be shared too. So it's just that kind of like weird give and take, but no, absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah. Boundaries, boundaries are sexy. (laughs) Um, absolutely not. Had I shared any of the things that I share now, it would not have been appropriate for me given my marriage, um, uh, for me to discuss the things that I discuss now, my wife would have been very upset. Um, and I was also raised in a family of origin that's pretty closed off. Um, 
my parents are super lovely people with very few skills and in terms of like emotion regulation um, and tons of generational trauma and, you know, anyone listening who's experienced a ton of generational trauma, um, specifically sexual trauma and sexual trauma within family units and sibling sets, like, you know, that you're not supposed to talk about that. And so I was just raised with that, like, we don't talk about these things. Um, we don't talk about them at the dinner table, let alone outside of the household. So um, I have really struggled with figuring out, you know, how to share in a way that I think serves others, but also like honors all of those different parts of, of me. And to be honest, like, you know, I, speaking of sharing, I have a podcast all about a mental health disorder that I experienced that I didn't ask my brother until like six weeks ago, if he knew I was diagnosed with, um, it's all over my Instagram, but I don't talk to my friends about it. Um, some of my friends who, you know, I'm close with wouldn't know that I have borderline personality disorder if it wasn't for being on the Instagram, because we don't talk about it in person. Um, and that's because it's the most shamed and, uh, stigmatized mental illness that exists, like far beyond schizophrenia, far beyond some psychotic disorders. Um, especially young queer women with BPD are really, really villainized within the mental health community. And I have the unique experience of also being a therapist and a social worker. So like I was 23 in graduate school getting diagnosed with this mental illness and I was learning how to counsel people. And I had a, a professor say like the only, the only client I would not accept into my practice is a young borderline girl. And I was like, well, fuck, that's me. You know, if, if my professors oh. don't want to support me, like, what does that mean about people like me? Um, so I spent many years not sharing with people about my mental health and, um, to just all of a sudden over Instagram in the last few years, kind of open up about it has been really, really terrifying, still really terrifying. And yet you do it anyway. So there's a few preventative factors for me that make me feel safe to do it. One, I don't have my, like, I, I don't, obviously you introduced me as Amundsen, right? That's my legal last name, but that's not on my Instagram account. Um, I can cut that if you want. No, no, it's fine. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, but like my potential clients couldn't search and find my Instagram unless they were doing like a deep BPD hashtag mm. search, right? So there's safety there. Um, what else do I do? I don't know what else I do to protect myself outside of like, I just don't talk much about this in the outside world because it's still very much the thing that gives me a lot of shame. And I have, and often still do like push away a lot of relationships when people do kind of find out how profoundly I struggle with my own mental health. And it's something I'm trying to figure out. And the reason that I share is because I believe, right. That like, it is an essential thing that we do to 
participate in community is to show up as ourselves. It's just hard for me to kind of like flip that around and turn it inward. Yeah. I feel like in sharing stories that you might not want to share or that feel very shame-based, you're giving permission to other people to like even admit to themselves. They don't have to admit it to the world, but just seeing other people like going through the same things, having the same feelings is like, oh, okay, I'm not alone. This is fine. I'm okay. Uh, and it's, it's that representation and that like exposure to new ideas or, you know, people who are thinking and feeling in very similar ways as you are. It gives a lot of hope and a lot of like belonging And I think that's one of the best things that came from technology and social media is being able to like find belonging, even if you don't necessarily have it in your geographic location. Sure. Yeah. I think that's especially true for queer folks. I haven't experienced that living in Portland, but um, yeah. Yeah, big time. It's interesting, too, because I didn't, like, use social media really growing up. So I didn't have an Instagram account until after I was married and changed my last name. And the first, mm-hmm. how you know, year or so of my Instagram was just me being, like, married and, um, you know, whatever. This very, like, picture-perfect, beautiful life. But um, there was there, – there were some things in the last few years that kind of pushed me towards sharing – specifically Instagram banned the hashtag BPD. Um, Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they banned the hashtag because for anyone who doesn't know, borderline personality disorder is essentially emotion regulation. Um, uh, The inability to regulate your emotions, essentially. So people with BPD um, might be viewed as like, loud and dramatic and uh, eccentric. It's a cluster B personality disorder. And those are kind of how they're referred to. And a personality disorder is like a lifelong stubbornness and personality. So the personality is not likely to change. So the things about me that are not going to change that I have to figure out how to cope with are like big emotions, ongoing suicidal ideation. Even when I'm happy, I want to die. Uh, it's a weird kind of life, but it is what it is. Um, perceived feelings of abandonment is really strong and constant cyclical moods. So like people with, um, bipolar disorder, you know, they can sustain like a few weeks of, um, a depressed state and then a few weeks of mania. Whereas people like me with BPD are constantly cycling through emotion states, like hundreds of times throughout the day. And so, Um, I have always known that like, I don't really, you can't just like plop me into a group of people and I'm going to like, I'm not going to fit in, right? Like my behavior is going to be a little bit different and I have to work really hard to regulate. And so I haven't always wanted to be seen that way. Right. Because it's like very othering. Um, but anyways, so with those symptoms in mind, Instagram bans the hashtag because people with borderline dis- uh, personality disorder often have um, high rates of self-harm and high rates of suicidal ideation if they go untreated. Um, I have a 10% chance to die by suicide. Highest uh, group of, of people with mental illnesses that are incarcerated are people with borderline personality disorder. So 
I think Instagram banned the hashtag because they were afraid that people would like be sensationalizing self-harm and suicidal ideation, which, um, I mean, maybe there's a very, very small amount of those people out there, but most people that are using the hashtag are just using it to find other people like them. Right. And to talk about like, how do you engage in recovery behavior? Yeah. But, um, and so you guys, when they made banned- a, you guys made a podcast for that and you made a group, you have groups that you, and they're free for people to, yeah. join. this is not like a plug. This is not a sponsored episode, but oh. also like, I want people to know, you know, if there's anybody listening who has this or who knows somebody who has this or, you know, is struggling, like there are resources, you're creating resources where there were none or there were very few. Yeah, there's. Um, there's an okay amount of resources for people with borderline in terms of like paid supports. So dialectical behavioral therapy is super helpful. Some cognitive behavioral therapies are helpful. Um, but the one thing that doesn't exist within the treatment specifically for people with borderline is peer support. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's bullshit. <laughs> like every yeah. other gr- classification of disorders, it's a very common practice to have peer support providers in substance use treatment, in depression and anxiety management, like in all of these other kinds of areas in inpatient treatment programs, there will always be peer support providers who are trained and certified to help their peers. Like say like, yo, I've been there. It gets better. Yeah. And just like Instagram banned the hashtag of BPD, it's not been built into traditional treatment programs for people with BPD to have peer support. And my co-host Lori and I, who also has borderline and is also a mental health professional, we think that's bullshit. So we built this free peer support group um, that occurs like one to two times a month called Super Feelers. And I think we've had a couple hundred people sign up and attend. We have like a core group of about 30 people that's like always there. That's a lot of people. Yeah. So the weird thing is Instagram banned this hashtag. I was like, God damn it. Now I like really have to talk about this shit, you know? So we like put a video out and I, I think like the BBC in the UK got a hold of it or something. And Whoa. Yeah. Then we, Lori and I put together this podcast and, um, you know, we just like you, it's like podcasting is a lot, right? And with we don't have a ton of time or certainly money to put into this thing, but somehow we've had like almost 30,000 downloads in this last year or so year and a quarter, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's because people with borderline personality disorder have not historically been told that there are inherent strengths in this disorder. Right. Like, yeah. and here we are saying like, first of all, yeah, I know you want to die, but it's really not that big of a deal. You're going to be fine. Like, go sit in the sun, drink some water, take your medication and like ask for validation. Yeah. Um, what are the strengths? Tell me the strengths. But like, you're going to feel like it's also hard to regulate, but like love when you love someone with, when you have BPD or when you enjoy someone, you really feel joy, right? You really feel love. You really feel connection. And I, I see this in all of my relationships. Like the way that I bond with people is so strong when it's a true bond. It doesn't happen very often, but that's beautiful. And also the ability to like feel empathy to this level is profound, right? Like 
that's why I'm a helper. That's why I'm a social worker. That's why I'm a therapist because like, I feel the desire to serve people because I know how painful it is to be on the other side. Um, people with borderline are often super creative just because they have a ton of different emotional states that they're going Mm. through. So, you know, like people with big emotions are writing and painting and creating often. Epoxy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't stop with the, the, whatever that is resin that's fun nor should you (laughs) yeah so anyways um that's a lot about all of that I don't want to make this episode all about borderline but it is a big part of like who I am and what I talk about and um Mm -hmm. it's interesting because I think there's probably a lot of people specifically in like the nomad kind of deliberate living van living community who probably have had a lot of trauma and, you know, experience a lot of anxiety and depression and all of these things that make them say, okay, the traditional nine to five white picket fence, come home and like make dinner and put your kid to bed thing isn't for me. How do I create a life that actually brings me joy? Right. And um, most people who get to that, like self kind of, exploration are getting there because they've navigated some mountains on their way yeah I think that's awesome um one thing that is super clear to me and I'm sure super clear to our listeners uh now is how your life did a complete 180 in the last year or two um and you know through it all like you're the common denominator right you've done this whole life shift for yourself, burn the previous life to the ground, build this new one, break it down, build it back up, you know, the whole shebang. Um, And you've done it maintaining your uh, social work therapy career and building these BPD resources and having BPD and living with it and exploring a completely new way of living. And so is there any I mean, this is like the hardest question ever, right? You're going to hate this. Are there any like quick tips or like simple things, little mantras that like you said to yourself through the burning down, the building up, the breaking down, the building up that kept you going, that kept you uh, here and that that kept you like figuring out who you are? Because you went from a relationship where, you know, you didn't you didn't make any of the decisions. You didn't have any of the responsibility except to like show up and be a partner Um, but even then, you know, it sounds like she did the buying of the clothes and the budgeting and the scheduling and all the things. And now you get to be like, who do, who, who am I? What do I want? What brings me joy? What kind of lifestyle do I want to live? And so I was just starting from the ground up and having like this opportunity to really discover who Sarah is. And that's, that's gotta be hard. And uh, rejuvenating and exciting and terrible and <laughs> all the things. How uh, how were you able to just keep going? Um, I guess it's not really like that hard of a question because I feel like it's my responsibility to keep going. So okay. I always kind of come back to that. Um, Your responsibility to yourself? stay alive. But absolutely the- not. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. 
Although that's what I want for people. That is not yeah. related. And I experienced in the world. I, yeah. Um, it's to my mom. My mom was one of seven and three of her brothers have died by suicide. And so, um, and you know, that's been the most formative part of my life is being like really closely in contact with suicidal behavior and, um, people who are super addicted and sick. And I have seen very graphically what it looks like to take your life. Um, so, and the impact of that, and it's super heavy, it's gross, but it is what it is. That's just a big part of like how I keep going is that I feel a profound responsibility to keep going, to not hurt other people. And also because I know that there is joy out there waiting for me, right? Like there's, there's people to serve and there's joy to seek. Um, but those certainly are not the things that keep me going in the really hard moments. It's definitely like my sense of responsibility to family to stay. Um, I will say being on this side of the divorce though, I would not fucking go back to the day after Christmas to save my life. Like that was the day we signed our divorce paperwork. And um, I don't really know how I got here sometimes. Like the van was a thing, right? The van was a big thing having that and getting excited about something that was mine um that I bought that I was building that was only like you know the vision and the design for it was mine I was not sharing it with anyone I wasn't going to share it on the road with anyone so I always keep kind of big goals in my head to just have me have something that I'm working towards and that's really helpful mm -hmm. um what was your original question <laughs> uh tips or mantras or advice on keeping going even through some of the biggest destruction and the biggest rebuilds and i think that i mean i think that you gave really good answers like the responsibility to keep going knowing there's joy out there somewhere and yes, and you know tactically like having big goals yeah that keep you motivated yeah and also building community right like building community you sent me a card on a day that I opened it and I was like wow this is fucking so cool that someone sent me this and like that there are waterfalls to go climb to with my dog and also like there's a lot to take right like that's really <laughs> helpful um, yeah it's a balanced it's a balanced diet of of all of the things and I yeah. think that that's really important you know not putting all of your resources into one area of life uh, that's I mean for me it is because I've always been very like hyper independent which um maybe not always but it's a it's definitely a trauma response like I can do this by myself I don't need anybody else I don't need community this is dumb I don't trust anybody everyone's gonna leave um probably a van living common denominator <laughs> I think it. I think it might be yeah um, and so now I'm at this point in life where I'm like realizing that like healing is something that you do with other people when it's relational healing, especially like you need other people around to help you do it. And I hate it. <laughs> I hate that, like yeah. that part of relational healing is having like being needing to do it with others. And like, I'm trying and I'm learning, but 
yeah, I can't put all my eggs in one basket. Like I can't put all my eggs in like, all right, well, I know I get endorphins when I go run. So every time I get sad, I'm just going to run. Like that's not feasible. That's not how it works. Like running is a tool. Sometimes I use it. Sometimes I don't. Knitting is a tool. Painting is a tool. Cooking is a tool. Sleeping is a tool. Like I can have all the tools, but I can't, you know, at different times in my life, I've picked one tool and that is the one thing that I'm doing every time emotions come up and that's not sustainable. No. Yeah. I think you're right. You have to have all of those things that you pull from. Um, we call that in the field skill stacking, right? Like, like using one coping strategy isn't going to always help you in the moment, but if you do one after the other, after the other, after the other, often that ends up helping you feel a lot more regulated. So I think it's yeah. really important to have all of those things to pull from. Yeah. And it sounds like you've, you've built those for yourself as well. Yeah. And it's an ongoing thing <laughs> for sure. Well, yeah. It's not like it's a one it's and done thing. and now, yeah, everything is fine. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is interesting that you say that you don't, you don't like it though. Like you don't like the healing and community because like I view you as a someone, as someone who's super connected to and has like strong community. So is it that your people know that you have those boundaries where you need to practice and spend time alone? Or is it sometimes pulling teeth for you to like go out and be in community to heal? Uh, yes, to both. Um, my close friends, people who've known me long enough know that I need my alone time. Um, and I'm learning how to balance like hermiting in a healthy way and hermiting in a fear kind of way. Like, I don't want to go out and meet people like, Oh, that's scary. I'm just going to stay home with my dogs. Um, when I was younger, I kind of did the opposite and I was always like going out. I was drinking, I was partying. I was like staying out late. I was going to concerts. I was doing a bunch of stuff constantly with other people to avoid being alone and to avoid feeling my feels. And now I've flip-flopped and now I stay home to avoid like people and all the things that are over there. Um, but like community is really important and I do try to build it, but I also keep people like at arm's distance. Like you can be a part of my community out there. Sure. Right. And then like getting people to come closer, like in romantic relationships, it's just like, Oh, I don't know about this. You know, I don't know about like letting my friends get too close to me. I've had friends that I've known for three or four years, you know, be like, I I feel like I've gotten to know you more in the last six months than I have in the last three years, because I am trying to like volunteer information. I'm trying to share and like answer their questions in ways that are not like a quick answer. And then turning the conversation back around, like, Oh yeah, no, I'm doing good. Tell me how you're doing. Like, sure. I want to hear about how you're doing. I don't want to talk about me. I don't want to, I don't want you to like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about me. And so I'm trying to like combat those and not do it. And it's really hard. <laughs> so hard. Vulnerability is literally my <laughs> least favorite thing in the world. Um, I'm super similar to you. Yeah. Like I, I spent all of my time with other people until probably my marriage and then you know spent most of my time alone and now like with the pandemic and having traveled in the van like I feel way safer on my own I don't really like sleeping next to someone like I I am way more regulated when I'm alone in the van yeah 
So it is, it's that kind of delicate dance. And I don't think anyone that does one or the other, just like all things, right? Like all things that are black and white are never that healthy. It's that kind of like middle ground that is the best, but it's also really hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, memes out there about, you know, like when you really enjoy your time alone and you uh, have peace in your solitude, then, you know, you don't let people fuck it up. And it's like, yes, in theory, but also sometimes you go overboard and you like, don't let other, you don't necessarily open the door to joy either. Cause you're like, well, this is fine. This is good. This is peaceful. I like this. Other people could be joyful or they could be drama. And I don't know which one it is. And so until I can figure it out, I'm just going to be alone, which is not how you figure it out. That's not how that works. Like you have to kind of open yourself up to the, to the risk of it being drama or the risk of it being joy. And like, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It is very hard because you, like you said, you have to try, but it's interesting because human to human contact is actually like the, the most effective tool we can use for regulating. Like it's basically why we spend time in community, right? It's not because we like people. It's because they make us feel safe or they make us feel calm or they help us, you know, hunt and gather or whatever, but trying to find your people and the people that you are for the people who make you feel those things. Cause not everyone's going to make you feel that way. Most fuck, people, most won't. of them won't. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and the interesting part too, right? Like I went into my marriage 100% without a doubt knowing that that would be the last person I ever kissed. Like, and I don't even believe in monogamy, but um, like, I really believed in my partnership. I would have bet everything on my relationship with Tori. She was very regulating and safe to me when we first got mm. together. But as I grew and as I, you know, a- adapted and changed and adjusted in my own way, she stopped becoming that. And then it was this weird, like, so now what do we do? Because we have built and created a life and we have melded these families. And now you're no longer regulating to me. And I'm definitely not regulating to you. And we are not safe. Like, now what the fuck do we do? Mm -hmm. Go be in a van. So uh, we're not here saying that divorce your partner, sell your house, buy a van is like the solution to all problems, but it's also not, not the solution to many problems. <laughs> My it's life also very greatly expensive. improved with the van. Oh yeah. yeah. Van, van yeah. life. A lot of people move into vans or like see the van, like hashtag van life, hashtag blessed like situation. And it's like, man, I could save so much money if I did that. And like, not necessarily. Like, no, if you're traveling all the time, especially with gas prices, what they are right now, but like, even when they were cheaper, like you travel all the time, you're spending a lot of money on gas and like insurance and mechanic visits and broken noses. Who knows? (laughs) I was just going to say, you know, like (laughs) I, I, you know, like the building the van and being able to travel in it full time was like the thing that kept me going through the divorce among other things, but that was the thing. And then literally my first trip out of state, I broke down and my van had to have both of its CV joints replaced. 
that was like a $6,000 bill in another state. And I broke my nose the same weekend. And I remember just hysterically crying and being like, this was the thing that was supposed to make the divorce worth it. And now it's not worth it. Like, what the fuck did I do? (laughs) (laughs) I think that is classic universe being like, okay, we're just going to throw a couple of, a couple of challenges at you. We're going to pull the rug out from under you. You're going to catch yourself. Don't worry, but you were going to panic on the way down. Like (laughs) it's very, that's just everything that I've seen in my life. A lot of the experiences that I've been through and like my friends and family have been through. It's like, oh, that's classic universe. Thanks. So funny. Haha. So classic great practical joker that universe (laughs) yeah big time but I will say there was a lot of people that were like in my um dms on instagram who were saying that like this happens to everyone this sucks you're in a shitty situation but you're gonna be fine and you're gonna get out of it and like you know right now my life is really good I'm really stable in terms of like and my mental health, I guess. I mean, it's always an up and down kind of thing. But generally speaking, I'm very stable. And my dog is good. And like work is really, really busy, but good. So last year, had I been told I would be here that weekend, I would have been like, you guys are playing. Like, yeah, I just ruined my don't, whole life. Don't lie to me. This is, <laughs> clearly, I just ruined my whole life. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyways, I'm afraid yeah. I went too much in depth on mental health stuff, but it's a part no. of the story that I can't avoid, I guess. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, and I think it's really important to share. Um, is there anything else you want to share that I haven't asked before we wrap up? I don't think so. Is there anything you can think about? I mean, I could talk to you all day. So <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you all day, too. I- yeah. 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 Um, So for the audience, if there's any questions that you would have asked that you didn't ask, or if there's like something you want us to dive a little deeper on, um, let us know and we can have Sarah on a future episode as well, or maybe like a little mini episode or something in our Patreon. But um, thank you, everybody who is here. You have made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to do my basic end of the episode spiel. Um, Sarah, I've mentioned multiple times that people can find you on Instagram at Sarah's Wellness Way. Is there anywhere else they can find you online if they want to? Or like, I mean, I feel like your Instagram is a really good place to find out about your podcast or your super feelers group or all those other resources you have. So if you're someone who's curious about that, go to her gram. Yeah, that's, that's really, I mean, my practice is full and not accepting any clients. So I would say like my Instagram is really just a place of like normalizing and, um, uh, being sometimes slutty and impulsive and sometimes educational and I don't know, it's just a place for all of it. So, um, that is there but yeah if anyone is like wanting to check out the podcast it's bold beautiful borderline and you can find that on spotify or apple or wherever you get your content so yeah awesome well thank you guys for being here and if you haven't already subscribed to the show go ahead and subscribe hit the notification bell do the like the thumbs up the five stars whatever it is on the platform that you're using that helps us get seen by other people Um, share this episode with somebody. If you know someone who 
maybe is going through a hard time in their life or has BPD or other uh, mental health that they would like some relatability with. (laughs) Um, And yeah, if you want to join our Patreon, that is uh, the best way to support us right now. And I hope you guys tune in next week for another excellent episode. Bye.